Today's scripture comes from 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Testing. All right, good morning. If we haven't met yet, my name is Aaron. Uh, I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at Exilic. And um, we, we are just coming down from a pretty magical weekend um, with our first ever men's retreat. Uh, and it was, it was such a good time. And for those of you um, guys that were not able to uh, go to the men's retreat this weekend, um, a lot of people have been asking whether uh, the talks were recorded, and they actually were. Uh, so you can jump online sometime this week to listen to the talks. The one talk, however, that was not recorded was our Q&A session because what happens at the men's retreat stays at the men's retreat, okay? But everything else will be available online. And a part of the reason why this past weekend was really, you know, so magical was because of our, our guest speaker uh, today, Tom Kang. And maybe a, a good way that I can introduce Tom is by... Uh, asking you a very simple question. Uh, look back at your life, and I want you to imagine the one person in your life who has had the most impact and influence on your life. Who would that be? Maybe your mom or dad, brother or sister. Uh, maybe it's your maid of honor or best man. Maybe it was your youth pastor or college pastor. Who is the one person that has had the single most biggest impact and influence in your life? Uh, for me, the answer to that question is pretty easy. It's, it's Tom. Uh, he came into my life my senior year of high school, which was a very seminal moment of my life. And Tom, he loved me. He rebuked me a lot. He prayed for me. Uh, I still remember uh, uh, we would pray together, and I would be on my knees, forehead to the ground. He would be on his knees right next to me, and he'd just be pounding my back. Like if I had demons in me, they're all cast out because he hit me so hard. <laughs> all of them cast out. And I just remember him crying uh, with me and uh, laughing with me. And uh, what really bonds us is that 26 years ago, we also had a near-death experience together on a trip to Mexico where we were both caught in a riptide and almost drowned. Uh, for those of you who have heard that story, the person that was next to me was uh, Tom. Uh, I'm eternally grateful for God providentially uh, sending Tom into my life because I'm not the man that I want to be. But I've only made it this far because God has providentially placed people like Tom into my life. And so I'm really grateful for him. Uh, he is the senior pastor at uh, New Story Church in downtown Los Angeles. Prior to that, he was the men's ministry pastor at Saddleback. Rick Warren, who has sold more books than J.K. Rowling, who sold the second am most amount of books of all time next to the Bible, uh, gave Tom the moniker uh, the best men's ministry pastor in America. And we were able to have him this weekend. Uh, but more than what he has done for God uh, over the past decades, uh, it's who he is. Yeah, he's a father 
uh, to three girls, uh, one of whom will be joining us at next service, and he's a husband to Erica. And so can we give a warm, exilic welcome to Pastor Tom? So good. Thank you, sir. Wow, that was uh, very, very sweet and gracious of you, Aaron. I really appreciate that. But I do, there is one correction I need to make. However much I rebuked you, it wasn't as much as I rebuked Gene. So <laughs> let the record show, okay? Let the record show. Let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer real quick. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, so much. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the leadership here. Thank you for your faithfulness. You are Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. And uh, I am so humbled. I am broken, Lord, by your goodness. It was about seven, eight years ago, Lord, when uh, I first came to the launch service of Exilic. And to see it now, I'm just um, so thankful. Lord, I pray for your anointing right now. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. Lord, that uh, your people would be filled, your word would not return to you void. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Question, did anyone here wake up thinking to themselves, herself, himself, gosh, you know, if I could just fail today, if I, just, if I could just like royally screw up, if I could manage to cancel myself, do something I regret, if my life could turn into a big old dumpster fire, that would be awesome. Anyone here think that this morning? No, of course not. You are normal New Yorkers. You want success. I was born and raised in New Jersey, right across the river, uh, went to school uptown. I want success as well. And that's okay. Because whether it's our relationships or our careers, whether it's about raising our children, making the dean's list, whether it's about eating healthy and trying to shed a few pounds, we all want different levels of success. Maybe that's why success actually appears so much throughout all of the scriptures. I'm talking about the Old Testament and New Testament. In fact, have you ever noticed some of the goat passages, right? The greatest of all time passages, like the life verses, the ones you have memorized. If you grew up in church as a little child, the, one they, the ones they taught you in Sunday school, the ones that you have hidden in your heart. I'm talking about verses like Jeremiah 29, 11, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to what? Prosper you. Not harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. That's, that's a passage about success. I'm talking about verses like Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your hearts. Lean not on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will what? He will throw you off the rails. No, he will make your paths straight. In the Old Testament, that was synonymous with successful paths. He will put you on successful paths, not paths of failure, 
but successful ones. Romans 8.28, we all love Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for the demise, the failure. No, the good. The good of all those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. And last but not least, this one is really subtle. This one is super subtle. Joshua 1, 6 through 9. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. This is why I want you to be strong and very courageous. I've said this now twice. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. That you may be, notice the subtlety here, successful wherever you go. Just in case you forget, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Why should you be careful to do everything written in it? Then you will be prosperous and successful. Huh. So let's be clear. The theme of success is woven all throughout Scripture. All throughout Scripture. And let's also be candid. The desire to succeed is innate in every single one of us. You did not wake up this morning thinking to yourself, ah, if I could just be unsuccessful. That's not what you thought. And the sooner we're able to acknowledge those two facts, the sooner and further in our spiritual formation and discipleship we will go. So, very important question. How do you define success? Or let me ask it this way. How was success defined for you growing up in the home that you did? Think about that now. How was success defined for you? Did it mean getting good grades? Maybe going to an Ivy League school? Did success look like having the best material possessions? Driving a certain car? Living in a certain area of the city? Or maybe you were only considered successful if you married a certain type of person or, or, or uh, had a certain type of career. See, the reality is the way you define success defines you. In other words, so much of what we pursue and how we pursue those things depends on our understanding and our definition of success. Therefore, we must define success accurately. One of the greatest heavyweight boxers of all time, talk about goats, is Mike Tyson. Yeah? He was unstoppable in his prime. By all measures of boxing success, this guy had it. Explosive power and impregnable defense, you know, taught by the legendary Customato, right? Blinding combinations. He was just vicious, yeah? Uh, by all measures, he was successful, which is why it's so fascinating to now hear many years later how Tyson, this is decades later, he himself would describe the actual elements which fueled his drive to succeed. Those elements were actually the same elements that would have the great Iron Mike Tyson crying before every single fight. Watch this. Fascinating, yeah? It's a fascinating dichotomy. 
I want to share with you another fascinating dichotomy, this one from Scripture. Have you ever noticed how the same person who wrote, For God so loved the world, another goat passage, right? John 3.16. The same person who wrote, For God so loved the world, is also the same one who wrote, Do not love the world. God so loved the world, do not love the world or anything in the world. Isn't that interesting? For God so loved the world, do not love anything in the world. And so we need to unpack this. And when we unpack this, we start to see that what the Bible says true success is, and it also identifies what counterfeit success is. So let's dig into this some more. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, as we heard it read, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Friends, don't miss this. The Apostle John identifies three types of success, three success equations, three success formulas, if you will, that are so tempting to pursue, but they are, make no mistakes, deadly traps. You may want to jot these down if you're a note taker. These three types of success, as they were, are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life. Or you, you may want to think of it this way. You can uh, categorize these three success traps as passion, possession, position. Passion. If only I experience this fill in the blank, then I'll be successful. That's what passion says. Possessions. I must have that. That car, that home, that lifestyle, that living room, that kitchen. Then I'll be happy. Position. Position says, once I'm there, married, divorced, once I have that job, that position, that once I'm in that tax bracket, I'll be successful. Passion, possessions, positions. Another way to think about this same chart is sex, salary, and status. The world says the more successful you are, the more sex, the more salary, and the more status you will have, and vice versa. All right? We can all think of plenty of examples from our own culture that support this idea. And one more nuanced but no less persuasive approach, which I'm going to identify here as feel, have, and be. I need to feel this. I need to have that. I need to be this in order to be successful. And, and personally speaking, the, the more I kind of ruminate on this process and pray through this, the more I realize what I see here personally for me, what I see is generational patterns there. Like the Bible says, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. But you know what? You know what my boomer friends say? I'm not a boomer, by the way, okay? So let's just get that straight. I'm not that much older than Aaron, okay? But the boomers, boomers, they identify passion, possession, position. I'm a total Gen X guy. Like I just, you look up Gen X and you see a picture of me. I'm total Gen X, and we're all about sex, salary, and status. Many of you millennials and Gen Z, it's all about feel, have, and be. There's, there's this aspect to it. And, and here's the other thing. Um, we are all prey to this. Yeah. We, we all chase after these things. Yeah? And I'm not just talking about generationally. 
uh, we, we can even talk vocationally. We, we can even talk practically. Did you know that pastors, not your pastors here, just some pastors, even pastors have this warped sense of success. Do you, do you know what, again, not any of the pastors here, not any of your elders here, or at New Story, okay, but many other churches, many other leadership, you know what their measures of success are? Let you in on a dirty little secret. We're not recording this. Are we? Yeah, we are. Anyways, it's okay. For many Christians, many pastors, many people in church leadership, their measures of success are bodies, buildings, and budgets. You have your own standards of metrics for your vocation as well. But, but for many Christians and many Christian organizations, Christian ministries, it's about how many bodies can you get to fill the room? How many buildings do you own? How many campuses? We can couch it in different terms, different ways. And how big is your budget? How much is coming in? How much are people giving? Yeah? So we're all guilty of this, but here's the problem. By those measures of success, by those metrics, I'll just pick on myself. I'll pick on pastors. I'll pick on churches now. Right? I don't want to pick on you, so I'll pick on myself. If my metrics are bodies, buildings, and budgets, by those metrics, the problem is that Jesus then himself was completely unsuccessful. Yeah? He was a loser. He was wildly unsuccessful. After all his teaching, after all his miracles, on his deathbed, as it were, everyone left. He had like his mom, a couple other women, John, like his number one disciple, gone. All the multitudes, they vanished. Buildings? Are you kidding me? Jesus didn't even have a, 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 a pillow to lay his head. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but a son of man has no place to lay his head, scripture says. Right? Budget? I, Jesus was essentially homeless, poor and homeless. Jesus was unsuccessful. His ministry in utter failure. His life completely wasted. If we are to use these metrics, which we often do. So there must be something else. There must be another standard for success. There must be other metrics in scripture. And for sure there are. If you're a note taker, these are the three genuine elements of success that you may want to jot down. They are this. Faithfulness, fruitfulness, and fulfillment. I call them the straight F's. You want to succeed when it comes to Christ and his idea of success, you need straight F's. Faithfulness, fruitfulness, and fulfillment. Okay? Uh, and if you think about it, this actually works really well with Jesus' sort of ethos, right? Where the first shall be last, last shall be first, that sort of thing. So let's dive into this a little bit. Think of Matthew chapter 25, where in uh, verses 14 through 30, we're talking about the parable of the talents, Right? Master gives five talents to this person, uh, ten talents to this person, one talent to this person, that sort of thing, right? And the faithfulness or, or, the, or the parable of the talents. And notice how the two servants who, uh, they actually, two servants receive actually the same exact reward for what? 
for their faithfulness. Not necessarily what they produce per se in terms of quota, but in terms of their faithfulness. To the one who had five talents that returned with ten, ten talents, uh, his master replied, well done, good and what? Faithful servant. You have been what? Faithful with a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Which is exactly, by the way, what he said to the servant who gave, uh, who he gave two bags to and he came back with four. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful. So, you see, uh, being faithful, are you being faithful with what God has given you? Are you being faithful with your time? with your talents, and with your treasures. Because true success, as far as the Bible is concerned, starts with faithfulness. Let's talk about fruitfulness. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. We, we, we know this scene, it's, it's the vine and the branches. This is to my Father's glory, Jesus says, that you would bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. What does the fruit of your life say about the convictions of your life and what you actually believe and think? God wants you to abide in him and be fruitful. God gets all the glory when you are fruitful. It's what pleases him. The fruit of your life reveals the quality of your life. And so let me ask you this morning, what does the fruit of your life reveal about you? Last but not least, let's talk about fulfillment. What do I mean when I say fulfillment? Uh, you all know the um, favorite ring story about seven-time Super Bowl champion Tom Brady. You guys know this, right? Tom Brady, right? The, like, talking a lot about goats today, but he is the goat, right? Greatest of all time, yeah? I mean, he has more Super Bowl championships than entire franchise histories, right? It's not, it's not just that he has more championships than any player in the NFL. He has more championships than... Most NFL organizations, yeah, he is the true GOAT. And when he was famously asked, which of these rings, which of these seven championship rings of your illustrious GOAT career is your favorite, does anyone know what his answer was? Yell it out if you know it. The next one. The next one. Now, can I just be honest? When I heard that interview for the first time, I'm like getting goosebumps now. I was like, yo, that boy is sick. Oh, my gosh. That's a leader. That's the man. Oh, I want to be like him. And then I started thinking, um, you got issues. <laughs> like, how come you can't be content like, you literally have more success than entire franchises. Like, what, what is your problem, right? It's a haunting verse in Scripture. Mark 8, 36 says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So what do we mean when we talk about fulfillment? Well, part of it is, part of fulfillment, what we mean by that is this concept of contentment. 
contentment. It's a state of satisfaction, the absence of having to strive. It's the absence of having to chase and continually chase after what it is you think gives you value. The Apostle Paul said this, godliness with contentment is great gain, 1 Timothy 6, 6, 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And then notice the overlap of themes in our, in our, from our chart earlier. Uh, the same Paul continues, after the godliness with contentment is great gain, he says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content. The Greek word there is a word for fulfilled. We will be satisfied. We will be delighted. We will be pleased. If we have food and we have clothing, we will be all those things. We will be satisfied. We will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. You know, um, there's always the next great book that is coming out, yeah? I mean, I, I feel like every week I, I, I'm, I'm supposed to get on Amazon and buy another book and, and put it on my shelf, put it bedside, and just, just kind of keep on adding. But, but I've gotten to, into the habit uh, over the last few years where instead of, like, buying every single new book, and I still buy a lot of books, okay, that's kind of my vice, but um, I, I try to temper that a little bit by reading a few books, a few select books that I've read over the course of the past, you know, 20, 30 years. Uh, I, I like to read a few select books over and over again annually. One of these books is Henry Nouwen's In the Name of Jesus. And in that book, there's a little excerpt that I want to read for you. He says this, the question is not how many people take you seriously. How much are you going to accomplish? Can you show some results? But really the question is, are you in love with Jesus? Are you in love with Jesus? Friends, let me ask you this. Do you cry out like the psalmist who says, my heart says of you, Lord, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Like, is that the thought that you have when you wake up in the morning? Never mind, you know, being successful or unsuccessful, but does your heart resonate in the morning? My heart says of you, seek his face. And do you make the resolve to say, your face, Lord, I will seek. I will seek your face. Because if you can come to that place in your spiritual formation, if you can come to that place in your discipleship and your Christ-likeness, to just have the desire to seek his face in the normal parts of your day, and this gift of life that he gives you, this breath of life that he gives you for today, because tomorrow's not guaranteed, but if you have this desire and this resolve to seek his face every day, I think that's the beginning of success. A few years ago, some Asian American young adults, there was this project uh, happening and 
some Asian American young adults were asked to stare into the face of one of their parents. Just imagine yourself doing this. Pick mom or dad, doesn't matter. Actually, pick the more difficult one. <laughs> okay? Can you imagine being in a room, just staring your mom or dad's face for four? One, two, three, four. Not seconds, but minutes. Four minutes into the face of your loving parent in awkward silence. I want to show you what happened next because it is priceless. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. The reason many of you are in tears right now It's because you know when you look into the face of the one true God, you know that you will be met with love. And goodness and mercy. grace, peace, and life. There is no greater success that can be found than to stare into the beautiful face of the Father who knows you and loves you. Let us pray. Father, you are so good. You are so good. Meet us, Lord. Meet us in our pursuits of false gods, counterfeit success. Meet us and look into our eyes. Peer into our, our souls. Fill our hearts with what is true. What is good. What is life-giving. What is glorifying to you and edifying for ourselves. Even right now in this moment of clarity, we abandon and repent from our lust of flesh and lust of eyes and pride of life, sex, salary, status, passions, possessions, position, feeling and having and being and father, 
in its place as we turn to you. Would you fill us more and more with the desire for yourself and more and more with the desire to be faithful. More and more desire to be fruitful and abide in you. And more and more a true sense of fulfillment, of contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I pray that upon the men and women of Exilic Church. Give them an appetite to be filled only by you. Lord, we do love you. We do worship you. And we pray that because of this small amount of time spent together, we would have actually fallen in deeper love with you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.